project. Um, well, Hello and welcome to the follow-up to our last podcast reviewing the remake of Resident Evil 2. We had such a great response for our request for call-ins and comments that we've had to do a special DLC extra added on to episode 50. We will therefore be finishing off the calls we couldn't have time for in the last podcast, plus lots of new calls from you in the Biohazard fandom. To go through this with you, we have Batman. Hello. We have Stars Tyrant. Hello. And we have Rombi. Hello. Okay, so we are going to dive straight into some of the calls that we didn't have time for in the last podcast. So first up, we have Red Jackal. Hello, this is Red Jackal, or Agent Red Jackal, chiming in with a collection of thoughts on various aspects of the Resident Evil 2 remake, or reimagining, if you prefer. But before I begin, I just wanted to say that I appreciate the Project Umbrella podcast and the work and contributions you guys have done for the Resident Evil community. Now, I've had a rough start with this Sorry 2 since the trailer reveal A3, and certain things that have come out of the developer interviews up to the time of launch, such as cut content, questionable opinions on character design, and the ultra-focus on modernization and realism for a science fiction horror game taking place in the 90s. I was heavily critical of it, but I swallowed it down a bit and gave the game a chance, in which it impressed me quite a lot. I would say mostly in combat, exploration, improvements in enemy behavior, and the general progression of the game. Music is definitely the weakest point for the game, but I think most people would agree with that. Uh, the boss fights were alright, but some felt a little gimmicky. The G4 fight for Claire's scenario was awful in my opinion. They combined the train fight with G2 from the original, with um, the, I think it was the G3 fight uh, from Darkseid Chronicles, and I just wasn't happy with the G4's design. I also felt the Mr. X fight was uh, lacking compared to the old one. Uh, with the characters, they fleshed out certain ones in the games, such as Marvin and Annette, where they had more involvement in the events and even gave an appearance to Elliot and some extra background to Kendo. But they took away from others like Ben and made both Ada and Irons incredibly unlikable, especially since there wasn't much of a buildup to their characters and they pretty much wore their intentions on the outside on their sleeve. I will say with Annette, while she had more screen time in this, in the original, it was made more clear that she was both concerned for Sherry and William when the remake just made her more confusing between Leon and uh, Claire's scenarios. Uh, Sherry seemed almost the same, but I felt like there was more stubbornness from her in the original game, even when she was with Claire. And I don't recall her mentioning that she was concerned for her father in the remake like she does in the original, either. Leon and Claire's presentation is alright, but I feel like the emotion was lacking, especially with Leon. I got the impression there was some snark between them in the original, but we don't get much in the way of banter or interactions in the new game, and that's very disappointing. So when you get to the end with both in the train, and then after the defeat of Birkin when they're walking off, off, the excitement between them seeing each other doesn't make a lot of sense when they barely met or even bothered to radio each other. And uh, you do get little notes from them here and there, but that's pretty much it. For the exploration progress of the game, it was a lot less linear than I expected, but it wasn't completely without sections where you had to follow a given path for events to occur. Like Resident Evil 7, which this game definitely has a few elements taken from, it's the strongest in the RPD of the first half of the game, and then sort of falls off as you get through the sewers and onto the labs. They expanded many areas of the RPD, added lots of new rooms and overhauled the sewers, but the sewers felt like a bit of a confusing mess to me. And the labs seemed like they had less going on compared to the first two areas, and I didn't really find it as challenging, even with the new design of the ivies and the short appearance from Mr. X. 
a lot of comments there which um, I sadly have to agree with. The lack of interaction between Leon and Claire is something that I think a lot of fans have picked up upon. And certainly with their relief at the end, it doesn't feel quite as earned as it does in the in the original. They barely communicate with one another. I think there's only, what, two apart videos? Apart from files. Things, yeah. Apart yeah, from they, files, they, yeah. Yeah, they leave notes and items for each other, depending on who you're playing as and which order. Um, yeah, and there's two cutscenes, the, the fence one, and then the one, depending on who you're playing as, either the monitors for Leon or the train platform. Clear. The radio conversations are badly missing, aren't they? Between yeah. the two yeah, of them. And the meeting in the Star's office, of course. Yeah, of course. Star's ones are really the more... Yeah. Because they both have radios, don't they? Because Marvin speaks to them on the radio. But they don't get given a radio each. They mm. just get given it separately because, as we've established, the you know, those scenarios. Mm. You don't think there'll be a lack of radios in the RPD. No. So Leon's uniform actually comes with one anyway. It's the sense of aggression as well. I think the, the original did a really good job making you feel like they were moving through the story together. So when you unlock mm. like a milestone that allowed you to get out of like the RPD, you know, that was when you'd contact your partner character to say, you know, we now have access to the back of the parking lot. And it felt like you were moving through the story together, even though not, you know, the, your partner character wasn't present. You almost expected them to suddenly be running around within the game itself even outside of fmvs you know that wasn't going to happen but you know you felt that they were with you just at a different point in the station or somewhere along that line whereas i think in this you do kind of forget that they're even there it doesn't help that the scenario structure just simply doesn't work which you know we will get into very shortly but it's, it's implausible to believe that they're working through a storyline together but yet they have exactly the same boss encounters and, and annette's completely inconsistent between the two storyline so it's really it's a mess really another good point about the uh, locations i think we've all agreed that the police station was pretty much spot on i think we're all very happy with how that turned out Mm. i think the sewer redesign was fine for me i found it perfectly serviceable but obviously the massive disappointment with the lack of marshalling yard and the redesigned lab really put a downer on it for me yeah we don't tread over too much ground from the last one but yeah the lab i felt really stuck out bit of a sore thumb if you like compared to the rest of the game's aesthetic the sewers feel more realistic, but yes. um, but they've lost a certain aspect of what the originals felt like. And as we talked about on the last podcast as well, the whole gator thing just felt completely unnecessary in a lot of ways too, just to try and squeeze that in there, rather mm. than being part of the sewer section. Red Jackal's also commented on some canon issues. Now I'm going to shoot off about the canon for a little bit before I end my piece. Uh, so we learned that there was both changes to Leon's background and his fate at the hands of the government in this, and it just sort of takes away gra- any grounding aspects to Leon's character. In the end, it suggested he sticks with Claire longer and isn't blackmailed into joining the government. He just does it on his own, like an exemplary cop that he is, having no suspicions of them whatsoever. Uh, same with Sherry. I'm not quite sure of the exact details of her fate in this, but she seems very hunky-dory with the notion of staying with Leon and Claire for a long time. And if they changed Leon not being forced to become an agent, they certainly must have changed the whole deal with Sherry being taken in and having research done on her. Who knows? If there's anything good that can be gleaned from Resident Evil 6, it's the little details on Leon and Sherry after uh, Raccoon City. And uh, you can find out, if I remember correctly, that Leon tried to off himself after that. And that really adds to how tragic the whole situation was. And with the beginning of Leon's uh, story, they've, um, they've changed that too. He's changed for someone who uh, was saved by his drunkenness uh, because he was late um, over a terrible breakup to someone who simply waited around for a call and then just went in on his own after a few days 
so it feels kind of lame. Uh, I feel that Leon's alcoholism and jadedness over women and other things are character flaws that should stay with him. Otherwise, he just comes off no different than Ethan in Resident Evil 7. Uh, for Ada, it, was, it felt like a bit of a mess because they removed her connection to Resident Evil 1 by changing her cover from looking for John to being an FBI agent. And of course, the whole plot of Sherry's pendant retrieval was changed. Then there's also people were also concerned about connections to Code Veronica being changed because of Chris's note, which I don't think is really the case because it's very clear the note is coded and written with an awareness that people might read it compared to Chris's diary. However, in the ending, it seems that Claire doesn't immediately split up to leave and find her brother. So it's really unsure how these events are going to play out in relation to Code Veronica. Yeah, I that's... think that's interesting because Resident Evil Facebook group tweeted today. In fact, after the events of Resident Evil 2, Claire goes off to Europe and they are like suggesting that there's still that link between the games. We wait to see. As we'll get into in the canon discussion, this is all the penalty of the game being a more self-contained story that didn't want to link in with the rest of the series directly. You know, the, the fact that Marvin doesn't mention any events of the original game was the first real clue we had and that was before release. And the final game is so self-contained. I mean, I honestly thought we were going to get, like, not, like, to the level of RE3s, but I thought we were going to get some, like, epilogue scenes where you'd maybe get, like, that moment in Dark Side Chronicles where you see Leon in the interrogation room. But they were very... It was very clear once you finished it that they were not interested in doing those links. And I think in some ways that makes the discussion we're going to have and the decision you need to make with regards to the canon is somewhat easier than people think. Mm, at least what you originally thought it was going to be, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, but the Code Veronica thing's a valid point because Chris's letter, if you're familiar with the original game, yeah, it's obvious it's written in code, but it's not going to be obvious to Claire. She makes a comment that, yeah, fair enough, that doesn't sound like Chris, but it's not going to be obvious to her that um, he's off in Europe investigating Umbrella. Yeah, one would hope that she would eventually. I mean, this is the thing. This is making it. It's just making it more messy, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it is because the thing is, in the original, Marvin tells whichever character that, like you know, Umbrella's behind everything, and then that allows. Claire to sort of be driven through it and then when, when she finds out Chris has gone to Europe to look into Umbrella that kind of drives the storyline forward with Code Veronica I don't even think she's told anything about Umbrella in the remake too is she? No There's no driving and, and the force one, And the one conversation that even Leon has is very as we talked about last time it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense like, No He just acts as if he's never heard of Umbrella almost even though obviously there's supposed to be this large pharmaceutical company <laughs> In front of the this particular city that he's about to be involved in mm. And the change of his background story, they made a big deal about that in the weeks leading up to release. And again, it's just something that seems completely pointless because it doesn't affect anything that happens in the game. You know, it makes me wonder why they bothered changing it in the first place. Mm. Well, thank you very much, Red Jackal, for that call. And that was uh, certainly insightful comments um, into the game. And uh, we appreciate that call in. Thank you very much. We now have another one in from Brad Bishel. Apologies for not getting to the last podcast. My name's Brad. I've been a long-time listener of the Project Umbrella podcast. This is my first time calling in. Just want to say thanks to you guys for doing the podcast for so long. Seems crazy. I've been listening to it for so many years. Must be even crazier for you guys. Uh, but I just wanted to say on behalf of myself and the rest of the community, we all really appreciate it and we all really enjoy it. So please keep up the good work. Anyway, Resident Evil 2 Remake. Let's get straight into it. Uh, I love the controller setup for this. The controls felt intuitive and they felt like a good marriage of the original tank controls from the first three games and the more over-the-shoulder camera-style controls from Resident Evil 4 and onwards. It felt like they got a really good combination of the two, 
that balanced out nicely and showed that that over-the-shoulder camera perspective can work well in this sort of Resident Evil experience. So I look forward to moving forward with future Resident Evil games to see how they implement it further. So very happy with how the game controls and how it plays. In regards to graphics, this game is absolutely stunning. It's just beautiful. Uh, it reeks of atmosphere and it just drips. It's incredible. Walking into the Raccoon City Police Department for the first time, I was just a massive wave of nostalgia going in there because to me, playing this game with modern day graphics and how everything looks these days and how photorealistic things can be, it's brilliant, but it also reminded me that when I was a a kid, and I think I must have been 11 or 12 when I first played Resident Evil 2. I got the first one for Christmas with my PlayStation when I think I was 10. But anyway, um, walking into the RPD just reminded me, and it, I was overcome with so much nostalgia walking in there, because when I was a kid and I walked into the RPD for the first time, it genuinely felt real to me. It felt photorealistic. I didn't, I didn't know how much better games could be at that time. And walking back in there again and seeing it recreated in the style and the manner that they've done it to such a high quality really took me back and I really appreciate that about this game. It's not just the environments that are fantastic though, the character models are also brilliant, beautifully made uh, from the top to the bottom. I was a little concerned with how Leon's face looked in the demo and the pre-release materials, but I'm pleased to say after playing through the game a few times I've gotten used to it. And I actually quite like the new direction they've taken with him. I would certainly echo those views. I think it's universally accepted. This is one of the best looking games on this generation of consoles. Um, and we've already touched upon the majesty, if you like, of the RPD. Interesting point is also the way the game feels and that long standing concern about can survival horror be done with the over the shoulder perspective. And he seems to be of the opinion that it's done very well. And I'm in agreement. I think this is a perfect survival horror game using the over the shoulder perspective. I was just going to say, I'm going to ask you guys this because I was just been thinking about this more and more a little bit. So I, I think the balance is really good, like gameplay wise, like just combat everything but obviously there's been a lot of talk online about perhaps the enemies are a little bit too hard and obviously people have had some issues with mr x do you think that a sequel or any other remakes or anything will slightly dumb down the combat at all are you or do you think that capcom's just going to stick to their guns on that i maintain my view from the last podcast i think the zombies were two bullets too powerful generally speaking i didn't mind the amount of them i think that that was fair and i, I think generally mr x was fair when you first go against him you are absolutely bricking it but Again, I think once you learn his habits, if you like, you can counter them well, but to an acceptable level as well. I do think zombies were a tad difficult, and I can see Capcom not dumbing them down, but perhaps if they are going to do a Resident Evil 3 remake, perhaps reducing the number, and perhaps where there were zombies before, we might see a bit more brain suckers and drain demios. I think in the, the original Resident Evil 3, brain suckers only appear once or twice at best in the entire game, so I can see more of them being added in to compensate for zombies. I can see them going the other way, actually. Resident oh, Evil. Really? Well, with it being set earlier in the outbreak and more outside areas, I could see them increasing the amount of zombies and to compensate, make them less bullet spongy. I think it'll be more or less the same as Remake 2, but I think there is room for tweaking it a little bit. And they have had extensive feedback on Mr. X. You know, it seems to be very much a love-hate thing. People are either fine with it or they really can't stand it. And that's something Capcom are going to have to take into account very carefully when programming the Nemesis 
for the next one. Yes, because Nemesis chases you throughout the game, but he doesn't. It never felt like you you were constantly on your toes. Whereas in this Mr. X, of course, you were on your toes all the time because you could never escape from him. So I don't think the gameplay experience would be that great if you couldn't get away from Nemesis and be safe for a long period of time. Because mm. you'd never see any of the city, I don't think. <laughs> you'd just you'd be Running like everywhere. You would, you would, because Nemesis has to be more powerful and more dangerous mm. than Mr. X. And uh, yeah, as long as you can escape from him, then the music stops. <laughs> I think that'll be fine. Uh, in regards to enemies, uh, we could talk about this for a long time. Uh, they've done absolutely fantastic work with all the enemy types in this game. It's such a relief to play a Resident Evil game again and have a zombie be a valid antagonist in the game that you're scared of. Uh, for too long we've been mowing them down with lipstick rocket launchers and gatling guns and just ammo after ammo being thrown at these things and they just come in waves and there's no consequences for coming across one and it's such a nice relief to play a game where they put the terror back into a much overused overdone trope and make it genuinely terrifying again I will say one thing about the zombies, whilst I did appreciate that they're a much more valid threat, uh, I did feel at times they were a bit too much of a bully sponge. I understand that that goes into balancing the game and creating that element of terror, but on more than one occasion there were instances where I was putting maybe 8 to 11 bullets in a zombie's head, direct shots, uh, and they'd still keep coming back. Uh, so at times I felt like they were a bit too much. Uh, in regards to being a bullet sponge. Uh, who else is there? We've got the dogs. Absolutely fantastic, quick, um, violent again, which is great. Probably go down a little too easy, I would say, on my standard playthroughs. Um, but it's good that they number them up to add that tension. Uh, the lickers are absolutely terrifying in this game. That's something that they've done fantastic with. Really just absolute dread when you enter a hallway where there's a licker. remember my first... Uh, first encounter with one i believe it was i did a leon a claire b playthrough and then a claire a leon b playthrough i think it was on the leon a where i was walking near the stars office i think that's where you first see one and i uh, i walked past it snuck past it went in the stars office did some bits and bobs and came out and just a uh, classic resident evil the liquor had moved somewhere else and as i walked around the corner of the l-shaped corridor uh, the bloody thing pops out of its head and uh, frightens me half to death. It was great. So I love I love the inclusion of the liquors. I think they've been done really well. Very, very threatening. It's great. All the different main monsters were, were rather threatening and quite brilliant, really. Although there was one thing I noticed with the AI that was a little disappointing. In the original Resident Evil 2, between doors, obviously we had the loading screens. And I'm pleased that we don't have them anymore and we've got the real time. With the doors, it's much better. But one problem I did notice with that was that if you were dealing with liquors or dogs, they can't get through the doors. So a survival uh, method that I utilised throughout my playthrough of the game was that I would I would exit a room with dogs or liquors in it. Uh, so the door was shut and then I'd slowly uh, creep back through the door with my weapon drawn and I'd take pot shots at the dogs or the liquors. And as soon as they came within a few feet of me, I'd retreat back through to the door, wait a second, and then redo it. So that was one thing that I noticed whilst it was very helpful for my playthrough, was a bit of a downside towards the AI and how they act. Granted, that doesn't always work if there's a hole in the ceiling and the licking can get through to another room. You can't talk about enemies, obviously, without talking about Mr. X. Jesus Christ, where to start. 
absolutely terrifying. Just talking about him has given me palpitations. I uh, first played the game at midnight when it came out, and I sat there with headphones in the dark and played it through to completion on my first run. And uh, Mr. X is absolutely horrendous as an antagonist. He is so scary the first few times you play this when you don't realise where he can and can't go and when he pops up and when he doesn't. Um, he had me dreading what was around every corner, which is absolutely fantastic, and I loved it. Uh, it was a genius move as well to decide as soon as Mr. X spawns, you're going to fill the corridors with liquors. So you have to run away from him, but you can't run because the liquors can hear you. Uh, just a genius move by everyone who made the game. Uh, I love it. Yeah, you just repeated almost what we just said beforehand about the, the bullet sponges. Again, 8 to 11 headshots and, and they're still getting up. It, that feels cheap. The Cerberus are very interesting and they're perhaps a bit weak, but they're compensated by the fact they're quite hard to take down. And I, I was pleased to get a trophy if you take one out in midair. As it's jumping, you get a little a little trophy, which uh, I was quite pleased to get. And that's quite satisfying because they do make a nice noise when they go down. So <laughs> but yeah, the comments about the liquors are absolutely spot on. And um, Mr. X is terrifying, especially the first time. A bit like Resident Evil 7, I think, when you've played it for that first time, not knowing what's going to happen. You don't know the limits and powers of Jack equally. You don't know where Mr. X is going. As soon as you learn, like you're safe in the star's office for some reason. You're safe in the save rooms. You're safe in the clock tower room. It helps, but... Yeah, I would agree with his comments about the enemies generally. I would say it's disappointing we didn't get the crows. Um, I'd like to have seen crows return because I think they would have been uh, particularly harrowing as well. I could imagine them having a really cool kind of cutscene, which I don't think they've ever really utilised as well as they ought to, of, of a crow mm. kind of like dissecting uh, a human or something like that and then kind of turning on you. And you can see it picking out an eye or something. And yeah. Flying off with an eyeball. Yeah, a good moment could arise from that. They've never, they've never done that, so they could, they could pick that up for the seat for number three. But there we go. Uh, the voice acting uh, across the board was absolutely top notch. It was phenomenal. It's so nice for the franchise to have such high quality voice actors associated with it these days. I do have a special place in my heart for the original cast of Resident Evil and Resident Evil Two, uh, but I feel like this is a direction the series has to continue to move in to match the aesthetics and everything else uh, in regards to the marketing of the games. Even if it means that we lose out on uh, some iconic voice acting and some even more iconic lines, such as, It looks like your party has been cancelled. Uh, so yeah, from top to bottom, it was great to have uh, voice actors that are a lot more emotive and could connect with one another and connect with the player with what they were talking about. That does lend itself, though, into one of my uh, things I disliked about the game, and that was how little interaction we had between Claire and Leon throughout the campaign. Um, they felt very distant, and I thought that was to the detriment of the game. felt like in the original Resident Evil 2, there was a lot more of a camaraderie built up between the two, and there was a lot more interaction between both the campaigns. So when you finished the game, it really felt like they'd made their way through it together, and that they'd, uh, they'd achieved it as a unit. And in Resident Evil 2 Remake, it really doesn't feel like that. Aside from a handful of notes... And a very, very brief cutscene. You get no real interaction between the two characters at all. And I felt like that was such a, a detriment to the game when you've got such great voice actors available to work with and you could have really built up that relationship between Leon and Claire. And they didn't, which was one of my biggest disappointments with the game. Uh, you get that little part of Sherry at the end of the true ending saying about them being boyfriend and girlfriend and they sort of laugh it off. But, it, you know, it feels just too out of the 
way to even suggest as a narrative because they have such little interaction with each other. And that was one of my biggest disappointments. But we can we can get onto more of that with the canon uh, episode you guys will do and I'll get more in depth with my feelings on that. Yeah, I mean, we've already sp- actually spoken briefly about the interactions not being perhaps on par. With regards to the voice acting, I'm fairly indifferent towards it. I thought it was serviceable. I didn't think it was exceptional, but I didn't think it was bad. There was nothing that stuck with me, should I say, about the voice acting. I didn't finish the game and remember a particularly good part i suppose suppose the only point was right at the end claire's comments to sherry i think about uh needing a shower (laughs) i think that that hit home quite well but other than that i didn't feel it was great voice acting but that's just me I think we talked about this last time. Well, I did anyway. But Leon, I found okay. So from the odd weird line reading, which, I, as I said, I, the one that made me laugh the most was the umbrella conversation where he's just like, oh, that'll explain all the monsters I've been seeing. <laughs> Whereas it took me a long time to kind of get used to Claire. And it wasn't because of the difference between Alice and Court not being there, but it just the actual actress took a long time to kind of you know, feel yeah. suitable in the role. But it got better, I, I felt. Whereas, like, you, you talked about Nick as well, Marvin great you know yes like, i didn't mind but some people didn't like the changes to anita I, I kind of liked the actress that was doing the role at least she was emoting correctly for what the character was supposed to be in this version whether or not you liked what the character was that's an entirely different thing. yeah whereas i felt birkin was a bit more flat you know for example you know you only see him a few times in the game but i think um the likes of like ada the actual actress who got to play her in this case like sounds the part but the character doesn't behave like the part so there's a disconnect yes. there for me yeah i agree with that too and then it's quite hard isn't it to judge whether the voice acting was great or was it just the poor material or was it poor direction or is poor it, direct yeah. yeah yeah so I did forget about Marvin. Yeah, he he came across as uh, that's great voice acting. I think he stuck out for me just because it was much better than everything else. <laughs> there we go. Uh, final part from Brad. Uh, Location-wise, um, all the locations were absolutely stunning. Uh, they remade everything to such a high level. Uh, the RPD just looked incredible. It's just dripping with atmosphere and it's intense. Interestingly enough, one of my least favourite part of the original game, my least favourite part of uh, Resident Evil 2, was the sewer section of the game. And I actually think it's one of the better sections of the remake. Uh, they've done such a good job with remaking it. It's a really enjoyable uh, section of the game now, whereas previous uh, on the original version of Resident Evil 2, uh, it was always a down part of it, and I never liked playing through the sewers. So it's great to get down there, and uh, not only to have a much nicer aesthetic to the area and a much more engaging aesthetic, but for the gameplay and the puzzles down there and stuff to be a lot more interesting, uh, which was great. The crocodile was fantastic. I'm pleased they included him. I felt like they handled it very well. Uh, about as well as it can be handled uh, in a game that's a lot more somber and realistic than the original maybe was. Uh, I feel like they handled a giant alligator or crocodile as best as it could be done. Uh, so I was very happy with that as well. Yeah, it was, it was a fantastic game uh, overall. Like I said previously, my, my biggest issues with it really are canonical. Some of the character beats and some of the choices that they've made and my main gripes about the decision with the, the game. Um, we'll see what they do with that with the franchise moving forward. Say other than that, my other big disappointment really was the start of the game. It's so iconic, uh, that first sort of two minutes of the original Resident Evil 2 where you just sort of thrust into the experience and into the city without really knowing what to do. I think the first time I played the original Resident Evil 2 I actually died because I thought it was still part of a cutscene. 
And uh, it was a bit disheartening that the start of the game is so very brief in the city and that it's effectively just a street section and then you run down an alleyway and then you're at the Raccoon City Police Department. I did appreciate that they included some of the more iconic parts of the city later on with the basketball court and Kendo's gun shop. Don't have any objections about that being later in the game rather than earlier, but it was a little uh, disheartening that the start of the game had such little city in it. I would have liked to have been able to explore the city a little more in a game that looks as good as this. My only hope for the reason why this hasn't happened is that they know they're remaking Resident Evil 3 and they're really going to up the ante with the remake of 3 and we're going to get a lot more time in the city and we're going to get to see a lot more of it because the time in the Raccoon City Police Department in that game is so brief. So it'd be fantastic if we get you know, a lot more quality city in Resident Evil 3, and that'll make me forgive this a little bit for giving us so little. Um, outside of that, I can't really think of anything else to, to run through right now. The Birkin boss fights were fantastic. Uh, I loved um, the little sort of changes they did with him. Uh, with the Tyrant boss fight was great as well. Uh, just really enjoyable across the board. But yeah, overall, in short, I really enjoyed the title. I really enjoyed the game. I thought it was fantastic. Like I said at the start, I think I was one of those people that didn't initially want this to happen, wasn't bothered about it ever happening, but I'm really pleased that they did remake it. Uh, I really enjoy it for what it's worth. I think it's an enjoyable uh, entry into the uh, the lore of Resident Evil and the franchise of Resident Evil. Uh, it's just those canonical issues and character beats uh, which hold back a little bit of my enjoyment, but other than that, it's it's almost the perfect remake. So yeah, anyway, I look forward to seeing what you guys think about the game can't wait to listen to what everyone else thinks about the game as well stars tyrant now this is out of the way mate you can get straight back on with your favorite game operation raccoon city <laughs> give me a shout if you need a hand with that bro uh and i'll see you guys on the other side bye that was a bit uncalled for mate come on he's <laughs> <laughs> just ready to go he can't wait oh my god <laughs> i thought umbrella corpse was your favorite anyway yeah, well yeah it is yeah <laughs> That was that a low blow. <laughs> a real positive review, I would agree entirely at the beginning of the game. It's slightly disappointing, but overall a worthy entry. Interestingly, um, Brad's quite praiseworthy of the boss fights, whereas um, I think a lot of us said in the last podcast that perhaps some of the Birkin boss fights and the Tyrant fights weren't quite uh, as pleasing as we would have liked, but Brad's of the uh, opinion that they were great. The problem with the Tyrant fight is I think it, it pales in comparison to how sort of operatic and epic the uh, original games is. Mm. And the fact that it's the same set piece as Operation Raccoon City, I just can't get out of my mind when I play it. And that has a more accurate tyrant. And also, like, the Birkin fight with the crane is, is just unnecessarily... It's not a fight, it's just, like, yeah, it's not actually a fight, it's just a stopgap. I mean, maybe I should rephrase. Considering they had to, they decided to keep the alligator in, they did their best with it, I still just felt like it was unnecessary. It's, <laughs> if you didn't have that section and Leon just went into the sewers and they went and confronted Annette, he got shot shot it would be exactly the same game it does makes very little difference yeah well thank you brad that was a uh, really interesting call in and um, we, we appreciate that and your and your kind words at the beginning as well mm. so we'll keep up the work as long as people are listening <laughs> okay the next calling comes from a friend of the shows and regular raccoon city's hero uh, jc wesker hi there this is jc wesker long time listener first time caller and uh i have some musings for you fine folk buckle up it might be a long one Resident Evil 2. 20 plus years of legacy, a legendary title both within the RE chronology and beyond, and here we are in 2019 playing a remake of what I deem to be the tip of the spear, a masterpiece that is second to none. 
and to compare it with any remake, or any subsequent reimagining, is as inevitable as it is futile. Yet we do it anyway. So does 2019 offer us something that stands on its own, or are we looking at something that's a mere shadow of its former self? I think the answer is, and was always going to be, both? The two make delivers on so many fronts, and capitalises on pretty much everything that made Resident Evil a success. And so it's easy to not realise that we all have, in many ways, finally come full circle. The survival horror genre that Resident Evil both showcased and improved upon so impressively in the mid to late 90s and early to mid noughties, only for it to see something of a dissolution with the release of 4, and something which would then only ever be teased in brief moments ever since, at least up until 2017-7. But yet, with new blood, there were new ideas, and with both 4 and 7, we've now twice seen a rejuvenation of the RE name. Popular elements have obviously been capitalised upon and will have permeated the hearts and minds of fans both old and new, for better and for worse. But these rejuvenations of elements, experiments in gameplay evolution employed to combat what some will have considered repetitive, stagnant, antiquated, or just plain over the top, have typically emerged at the expense of at least one core theme, and in both cases, with both 4 and 7, it was an extreme departure from what I consider to be the core of RE, its narrative foundation. So, surely a remake of 2 would bring all of this back to relevance, and in coming full circle with so many pre-established ideas, essentially bring Resident Evil home? And the result is... yes and no. And to put the two make under a review is to look at it on two fronts. Number one, as a Resident Evil title, and number two, as a remake of a previous Resident Evil title. To analyse number one is simple. It plays as a brilliant combination of everything that Resident Evil has pioneered, shaped, moulded, and ultimately defined over the course of its 20-plus year legacy. The simultaneous joy and fear of exploration, a delicious slice of unsettling ambience and tense atmosphere, the strategic planning of item management, the tried-and-tested over-the-shoulder POV, narrative intrigue, and characters and NPCs with voice actors that bring emotion and believability to the insanity that surrounds them. As a Resident Evil title, to make delivers in spades. Spade keys, you could say. And when Capcom said, we do it, I'm very happy to say that they have hit a home run. I'll also say that despite the fact that Hardcore's S-plus criteria for unlocking the infinite rocket launcher and infinite minigun making me realise that my skills to bring about such feats are, realistically, essentially locked in a past that I feel I'm no longer able to adapt to in the present, a moment of forced maturity to accept that I'm not the video game player I once was, although taking out Thanatos and Nyx in recent times alongside the heroes of Raccoon City definitely eases the pain, I have to say I liked everything that this game brought to the fray, at least when it's based on its own merits. However, to analyse number two, as a remake, especially as one as iconic as 1998's Resident Evil 2, is, in all honesty, an undercooked reflection of its source material, as unbalanced as the image of Raccoon City which we observe in the car mirror in the opening intro. As a game-playing experience, the two make is a wonderful journey of nostalgia wrapped up in all of the many joys and frustrations of a pure and classic survival horror experience. Having not played the demo, I admit, I actually died at the hands of the very first zombie in the gas station, an instant indication that this was indeed going to be a test of patience and skill that a seemingly complacent me had left behind long ago when I graduated from the 8 and 16-bit generation. I would be rewarded for my efforts, but I would also be severely punished at even the slightest slip-up. And this was on standard mode. Essentially, every enemy type is a puzzle to be solved from tiptoeing past liquors, which are now arguably the toughest enemies in Resident Evil, bestowing a sense of deep satisfaction that would almost seem unattainable from actively not shooting something, to the Ivies, where just a little bait and fire is both a tactic of ammo conservation, but also a fly-trapping necessity. 
though it has to be said that many enemy encounters present a puzzle that is often so punishingly unpredictable that even when your understanding is at its peak, curveballs like Mr. X pop up as if to remind you that this game very much wants to kill you like no Resident Evil before it. And then there's William Birkin's G. I'd say that each G battle is very much a set piece, both appropriate to the what's and where's of your present surroundings, but also quite unique from each other in terms of the gameplay you need to utilize and adapt to in order to survive. Sure, the whole hit-each-of-the-eyes routine is a repeated through-line, but it's a consistent through-line that is very appropriate to how you would expect to deal with G. And yet, as I said before, each fight is very unique, as the variation in G's behavior is significantly varied with each subsequent mutation, and the playground in which you have to battle G will always escalate the challenge at hand. And that is a pretty impressive thing, as to keep both a consistency and a variation to an enemy you face off against on five separate occasions, is as impressive in 2019 as it was back in 1998. I like that. It's like I'm watching the opening narration of um, one of the earlier games. You know, it's like uh, like the Zero narrator, isn't it? It was a very articulate uh, um, response. Um, no, but uh, seriously, um, he mentioned something there that you've mentioned actually to us before, Rob, about like the zombie encounters in a sense being a puzzle all on their own. Yeah, well, it seemed back to me that when they were talking about um, the idea of having the combat almost, you know, if you if you kind of rush your shots, you use more ammo. If you if you have the option to, to spend a little bit more time focusing your shot, you tend to use less ammo. It, it is also a decision whether or not you even encounter certain enemies, um, whether or not you choose to shoot them in the league or um, and down them. It, it is kind of a puzzle, and working out the areas that you're going to go through a lot. I mean, I took a little bit of jokey flack last time for making all these comments about basically teaching people <laughs> how to play the game. But I think it's one of those things, the more you play it, you kind of realise. I mean, I, I went through and finished the entire game because I started to learn those tricks and tropes of how the gameplay is supposed to kind of be handled, I guess. And whether or not you choose to, to do that or not, it's, it's, it's up to each individual player, of course. But I feel that's the way it's been designed. I agree with his comments about it being almost a perfect Resident Evil experience in terms of how it looks how it plays and the atmosphere etc but as a remake you know it does sell itself short but as we've discussed many times before it's this whole reimagining thing which is what makes you know that fear go away for me he's sort of looking at it or he gives the impression that he's looking at it as a remake of the original game in the sense of how the first remake replaced the original and we agree that that's not the case with this And because of that, I'm not really looking at it as a remake. If it was a remake, I'd be a lot more bitter about it, put it that way. Yeah. But because it's a reimagining, I can let it slide. If you want like a a preview of what the Canon podcast is going to be, then you can probably say, with the original remake, that for all intents and purposes replaced the original. Whereas I would say Remake 2 stands alongside the original as a sort of accompaniment to it as opposed to a replacement. Nevertheless, what are the negative? What are the imbalance that I suggested at? Well, it's that narrative core once again. In its own right, it has its flaws. But as a remake, it has even bigger flaws. Just like the infamous Biohazard 1.5, which halted production at about 70-80% to 80% completion, this, I feel, is where the narrative theme has taken up residence. Character interaction is a hallmark of Resident Evil 2. Yet here, both Leon and Claire have exactly two direct interactions between the opening and ending events with the subsequent two files in the second scenario with which to expand upon what was already a thin series of exchanges. Whereas in the OG, a simple radio allowed the two heroes to stay in contact and keep each other informed as to the other's progress, along with a zapping system which, as a gameplay mechanic, truly went above and beyond in making the player feel that you should always be thinking about your off-screen partner 
and by extension making the player invest in some sense of connected emotion as we explore these various locales and experience this adventure vicariously through the eyes of our chosen hero. In 1998, we experienced two pairings of overlapping A and B scenarios, but here it feels more like we have four very individual scenarios. Don't get me wrong, I do really like both Leon and Claire, but I feel to highlight what I'm thinking, I have to bring your attention to the Mr. X kebab scene, which, though awesome, and providing a fairly definitive answer as to the who would win in a fight between, highlights how the storytelling of this game is categorically less tight and more freeform. It's also a prime example of how two scenarios would have absolutely, no doubt, been better than four scenarios, and that an assumed mix-and-match of story beats and boss encounters between the two characters is something which makes me yearn for the days of a little Sugimura and flagship polish. Now, Ada, I actually don't take issue with, or at least like many others have, as I've always worn my heart on my sleeve when it comes to Ada Wong, and though the Leon-slash-Ada relationship doesn't have quite the same emotional connectivity as in the OG, I still felt an emotional response with regard to their interactions, and there were some nice back-and-forth moments that definitely put a smile on my face. And the look Ada gives Leon in that final moment? It still worked for me, and I'll be totally honest when I say that if Leon had in fact yelled out his signature, Ada! A tear would likely have been shed. And that's the thing. The dialogue we have in this game is, for the most part, genuinely great. But I'd say that all of the character interactions needed just a little more time in the oven. As the payoff to most of the character interactions, though something I ultimately feel quite positive about, definitely feels somewhat less earned this time around. No scene of Marvin's transformation, who simply needed just a short Jill or Chris discovering Forrest on the mansion balcony type scene in order to give a little deserved denouement to what was up until then a more fleshed out performance. A blink and you'll miss it scene with Ben, who I quite liked, and would have liked to hear from a little more. An anticlimactic death scene with Irons, who is a whole other world of unsettling, and feels less like a broken man with a history of violence, a bitter and resentful soul who initially almost nurtures a sense of sympathy, and more like a psychotic nutcase who somehow manages to set up twisted torture games in his own precinct, and is overtly turned on by his taxidermy hobby. And Annette, who is something of a conundrum, as I actually quite enjoyed her desperate urgency to focus upon William's potential escape, but it does seem to be something of a perplexing conflict when it ultimately sidelines Sherry's well-being, and I was confused that neither Leon or Claire call Annette out on the fact that it was her research which brought about the creation of the G-Virus in the first place, and the need to quarantine William doesn't change the fact that countless test subjects, including children, have been subjected to their diabolical experiments. And I feel that all of the above could have benefited significantly simply from being linked into a much more polished, a much more polished narrative overlay. And while we're on the subject, Leon and Claire should always have been united in the star's office and with no mention of the mansion incident, it's now a room without much of a purpose. Too much separation weakens a title, and the nostalgia fires sometimes need stoking with more than just subtle references. That's very true with the star's office. Yeah. It has no context. <laughs> he makes a great point about that. It's not a particularly nostalgic experience with regard to the rest of the series. It invokes the original in terms of sort of its geography and whatnot. But because like the soundtrack's not really there unless you use the DLC, and because there's, there isn't those awesome links, it feels so disconnected and, as he said, to its detriment. It's nostalgia for the nostalgia's sake of the game's anniversary, not the connectiveness to the franchise. Yeah. He also makes a really good point about the voice acting, which I've not actually thought about until now. It's funny, because as he did that sort of, you know, the Leon Ada shout, it occurred to me that, though, like, the voice acting in this game is, is fine, and we've got our, obviously, our issues with it, I wouldn't say it's particularly memorable. 
whereas I remember mm. so much of the original dialogue, I can recite so much of it off the top of my head. I can't really remember any standout line or moment of dialogue in Remake 2 at all, really. It's telling for me that the thing I remember the most is because of a misaligned reading. Like, that was the bit that took me out of the... Yeah, you know, it, yeah it's what I said earlier. I, I just found it all very serviceable without being particularly spectacular or, or as I said, memorable in, in any event. Um <laughs> The series needs all that sort of over-theatrical panache, doesn't it? You know, like, for as bad as the writing is in Resident Evil 4, you know, your right hand comes off and all that nonsense. Mm. It's yeah. at least memorable. The script. The, the series oh. is rooted in B-movie exactly. cheese, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, your recent streams of Resident Evil 1, I've been reminded how awful this script really is. But, oh my God, it's brilliant at the same um, time. But, <laughs> but in, in trying to sort of make it serious and realistic, has it lost a little bit of its identity? Mm. Oh, for sure. We wouldn't even be questioning whether or not about this voice acting. We wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. I wonder if, like, does Seven get round it because you've got, like, a character of Jack Baker who's just so large and full of personality that he kind of carries the writing and makes yeah, it all a bit silly. I, and Well, Jack and Marguerite as well, same thing. Like, she's so manic and, like, there's definitely an element there. And, and Zoe becomes that kind of grounding reality. But even the fact yep. that she rings you on a phone is kind of, like, weird and, you know, at first, like, it's kind of... I suppose you've yeah. got, um, yeah, you've got um, Lucas as well, haven't you? Yeah. Just there's, add into that craziness, so... Yeah, there's definitely more of that characterization in that that's more memorable than this. I do, yeah, I do wonder now, like, uh, that's never occurred to me until his call in there, that I do wonder whether, in terms of, like, dialogue and writing, the two-make just plays it a bit too straight. Well, this is the thing about the whole thing, in some ways, and uh, yeah, it's like, uh, maybe in some ways, this is the, the juxtaposition, the gameplay is so great, and we're obviously all enamoured with the way it plays and the way it generally looks, but they've played it so safe and pulled punches on everything else. When it comes to the voice acting, it's very fine there's the odd moment here or there of like it's maybe heading in that way but then it never really does and obviously with the in relation to connective tissue it's definitely almost too little you know as we established misfired with the supporting characters as well i think annette had a good extended role but chief irons you know i was expecting him to be a bit more of a bigger player in this game and ben like jc said was just a blink and you miss it scene yeah I don't see why they couldn't have kept Ben alive until you actually complete the puzzle. Yeah. And he, he could have maybe actually been someone who... God, they could have even like taken a leaf out of the outbreak book. Like, maybe you could have found a file, and if you take it to him, he gives you some exposition or backstory or something. Yeah. But they've completely downplayed his character even outside of that, because once you get the tape recording and Ada listens to it, she's all, like, really dismissive. Oh, well, he failed and didn't give me the, get the immediate information that I was wanting him to get. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't even succeed. He's, he's actually worse of a character than it was in the original in that he was aware of what was going on and was actually collecting information here he is clueless he has no he actually has no idea what's going on and another peculiar change as well is in the remake he's wanting to get out of his cell isn't he whereas in the original i think it was better he was so scared of birkin he thought his cell was the safest place for him and he had the key there all along yeah he was scared of birkin and irons i guess to some degree as well yeah it was an oddly creepy moment the first time you ever played that and he's like i have the key right here officer moving on now Anyone I speak to about RE and visual media in general will know that I adore both creature design and the overall anatomical aesthetic of the various enemy types throughout the RE series. It's one of the reasons I love Six, and don't particularly like Revelations too. a discussion for another time. And there were some highs and lows in the Two Make, to be sure. The zombies in Two Make are absolutely brilliant, and when in combination with the sound design, these zombies are quite possibly the best in the series. The Lickers, my personal favourite enemy in RE, is a stunning piece of design, 
and as mentioned previously, give a sense of satisfaction and power to the player by a stealth and strategy, like we've never seen before in an RE title. Although, I don't love the teeth. <laughs> the iconic Xenomorph style of the OG Lickers will, all, will always be the benchmark template, and in my opinion, Toomake's Lickers obviously miss some of their dental appointments. The dogs are ravenously formidable, and are easily the toughest canines in the series. The G-creatures are truly terrific redesigns, and along with their sewer nest, are great examples of a more realised concept. The giant crocodile, however, is a slimy, less appealing mirror image of what the Salako is to the pulse rifle, and unlike the majesty of one of Alien's truly masterful miniatures, this reptilian monstrosity simply strikes me as an overgrown version of the stuffed toy from Evelyn's playroom. Uh, wait, the orphanage's playroom. No crows? That is a shame. I could have envisioned a nice set piece with a gallery-type room from the O2 remake, where dozens of Hitchcock's avian terrors would look down upon you with their beady little eyes primed to descend upon an unsupposing player, only to have Mr. X barge in and spoil the whole party. And no giant moth, and that is a real shame. And there are nearly no non-mammalian enemy types in this game at all. I would say that I don't feel devastated by such omissions, but I still feel just a little disappointed nonetheless. And as for the ivies, nightmare fuel is an appropriate moniker, and like the G-creatures, are well-designed, updated versions of their former incarnations. But I still very much prefer my Plant 43s as plants, thank you. And plant zombies? Flashback, anyone? Now, with both Mr. X and G, as I stated previously, both are truly inspiring, masterful in their overall aesthetic, and also in their technical execution. They both exist as a familiar stalker presence, but obviously occupy different sides of the same coin, and even with the struggles I often experienced, I was incredibly impressed. Mostly. G4, my other personal favourite enemy in RE, is too much of a pulsating mass to properly reflect the G4 I've loved for over twenty years, and though a glimmer of a familiar quadrupedal dash was very welcome, it is then undermined by an overuse of bipedal stumbling. It was as if Capcom wanted a transition just a little further away from G3, and just a little closer to G5, and it just isn't the G4 I wanted. And Mr. X's super tyrant, though perfectly serviceable, kind of struck me as a Dave Bautista's Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy, only with more claws, and the first time I took him on, I very much assumed that there would be a follow-up mutation, up until the rocket launcher drops and you disintegrate his upper body, and I was like, well, I guess that was it then. Finally, people who know me know that I'm a huge Outbreak fan, and that I do absolutely love my turntable. The sense of a journey underground, only to emerge at the marshalling yard on the outskirts of Raccoon City, an ominous wind hitting your face as you step out of the open interior of Shed 5, or is it Shed 6? And in Toomake, it doesn't have a shed, and it barely has a turntable. Well, it looks like Rebecca and Enrico never made it to the nest. Seriously, I, I want my shed. <laughs> Overall, I thought that the environments and locations were pretty great. The Raccoon City Police Department is stunning, and definitely a more realistic, more accurate piece of repurposed architecture. I still prefer the original, even if it doesn't have toilets, but the look and feel of the new RPD is truly outstanding. The Raccoon City streets look good, but I desperately wanted more. While with the orphanage, I felt that this brand new location was severely lacking, as I felt that it should have been more expansive and more exploratory. The sewers were pretty decent, though a little overcomplicated and labyrinthine, akin to the water treatment plant in Zero, and I honestly think that the grand scope of this location is partly undermined by the early realisation that the cable car was in fact simply going to take you deeper underground and not to the outskirts of Raccoon City and to our beloved marshalling yard. However, Having never played and having never really seen Operation Raccoon City, the laboratory was okay by me. A little anachronistic, perhaps, 
though I very much think I was actually more bothered by the fact that everything is directly beneath the RPD. In many ways, it makes more narrative sense, but I definitely felt less on board with that particular geographical choice. And the soundtrack. Those brief moments of familiar genius are terrific, but just like the save room theme in this game, what captures the attention soon fades away into the night. It's almost as if the shadow of the umbrella that the OG2 OST casts down wasn't something Capcom felt the necessity or the ability to replicate. So, as an RE title, it's in the 8s. As a remake, it's in the 6s. And as for the canon, the 2-make is what is, and at least deserves to stand on its own. Nevertheless, though it often pays wonderful homage to the 1998 OG, its disconnect from the legacy and mythos of the classic titles might actually be a blessing in disguise, as, let's be honest, any attempt to replace and or sideline the existing canon is just as ridiculous as mass production. And in terms of the future, well, bring us three make if need be, but I truly think that we need to progress the story, and we'll only really do that with Resident Evil 8. Well, I've taken up more than enough of your time, and if all of your ears have managed to survive the JC virus, then I say thank you, and I appreciate the indulgence. Cheers, guys. Keep up the great work, and uh, I hope to unleash more rambling soon. Thank you. Thank you, JC Wesker. It was a very um, enlightening <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Indeed, mass production, always ridiculous. It's definitely give us some thoughts that we haven't thought of, you know. That's the great thing about people calling in. Shay, same opinion with the Marshland Yard. I think it is a, mm. it's, like, it's an iconic location. You didn't realise how iconic until its absence, I think. Which is ironic for such a, on the surface, such a seemingly land like it really is it's just a open train yard yet it just had that right appeal of being an outdoor after being in the sewers and being in the tunnels and into this underground cable car it just kind of gave you this breath of fresh air for being outside all of a sudden for a little bit i think the um boss fights on the train platform as you descend were like epic for the time as well they were Mm. like you know like a set piece you weren't really used to back then and it's only a simple little effect of like a background scrolling, but the way the music and everything plays into it. I mean, they're not difficult boss fights, but they, they feel epic. No, and he takes umbrage at G4, and um, I, I can see why. It, out of all the G mutations, it's the one that's not quite as we would remember it. That's the reason why I was almost questioning whether yeah. it was even a new mutation. It was it was almost like this this passer. I can see, yeah, I can see. He's and he's right too. There's that con- they're trying to put that connective tissue between that and the next stage, but and to change the obviously the gameplay a little bit to fit the environment they've put it in, but something not quite right about it. Well, thank you very much for that, Corden. I think that was. Uh, I think people will in, in, enjoy those thoughts. And um, yeah, um, and I like the go- way how we presented it as well. That's, that's, that's a good thing people ought to try more of. <laughs> <laughs> so our next calling then comes from Yoke. Been a long time, comrades. Yoke here. Very good opening. I would like to apologize. I did not have a call-in ready for the uh, first part of this uh, podcast episode just because I was trying to quickly get uh, everything done for this game. At the time of this recording, I've not done Hunk, Tofu, or S-Rank challenges, but oh well. I would like to also apologize again because this call-in will be short. I will throw in some gameplay stuff that I thought you guys um, glossed over in the first part of this, and I will only have very few story stuff just because I admittedly don't know a whole lot about the story. So I'm going to leave that to you all. But I do have a few things that I have questions about and want to point out. Now before I get into any of that, I have a special message from me to Neptune. I understand you are a man of culture, a man of taste. The classic outfits we have right now in this game, not good enough. You know, they're not they're not like they were in the original. There's some alterations that you're not fine with. But we're about to get the Polygon outfits for free this month. So 
stop being a little bitch and uh, buy buy the DLC already. Buy the soundtrack. It is absolutely amazing. I understand that you're set in your ways. I understand that you don't want to be part of the cool kids. You know, you know, you, you just you, you just want to be you want to be you know contrarian. But for the people out there who are not like Neptune, who are not set in their ways, who wants to be part of the cool kids club, buy this soundtrack. Like honestly, hundred percent, it works phenomenally well with this remake. You will not like I will never shill for DLC unless I think it is worth the money. This is a hundred percent worth it. <laughs> I mean that in the friendliest way possible, Neptune. Please fucking buy this DLC. <laughs> Stop being a little bitch, Nick. <laughs> it's so worth the money. I think I could probably speak from behalf of a lot of Biohazard fans. Being in the cool club was uh, something that I was very much not part of growing up. And um, oh, what do you mean growing was... up? Isn't it still now? Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. That's very <laughs> Comments noted, Yoke. Comments noted. <laughs> Carry on. Poor Nick even gets trashed on call-ins now. I know. <laughs> now, some of the stuff I'm going to talk about right now, I'm going to try to summarize my feelings for the gameplay and some of the story stuff. A lot of this is in note form and is not really in a certain order, so I'm sorry if it bump, uh, jumps around a whole lot. And I'm also sorry if I repeat certain things, but I want to hammer home like some of the good and bad stuff about this game. The RPD redesign is absolutely fantastic, absolutely beautiful. My favorite change to the RPD is actually having a stairwell in the main hall. Because I always thought this ladder in the middle didn't make any fucking sense at all. The gore is absolutely beautiful and horrifying. Uh, I had moments where I actually just stopped for a little bit and examined like the zombie or some sort of like thing that happened just to see all the detail. Uh, the controls are absolutely amazing. This is probably the best third person shooter Resident game you can play. Uh, the only thing I am worried about is where this is doing so well. They may drop the first person shooter camera for this and I kind of I want to see what they can do when it's Resident Evil 8 with the first person camera. Granted I am kind of torn on that decision. Openings are a bit rushed especially in B scenario you're just thrown into RPD. Uh, I was actually really pissed that I didn't spend more time on the streets before then. Uh, zombies are way too bullet spongy. To me, there is a fine line between challenging and also uh, being unfair. I feel like these zombies are a bit too unfair. Because there's a lot of moments where, even on standard uh, difficulty, where 6 to 7 and sometimes 8 chops doesn't even, like, even in the head doesn't even down them. Could be a glitch. Could be where, you know, I'm not letting the crosshairs line up, but I don't feel like that matters as much. And uh, this only happened once. I had a zombie survive two flame rounds. Granted, that could be a glitch, but I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter much anymore because personally, I don't kill zombies a whole lot. There's a, uh, a speedrunner by uh, Trance, UH Trance, who's pretty good in my opinion. And I kind of took um, a few moves from him. What I do now is I shoot a zombie in the head, I like one or two, three sometimes shots in the head, to stun them and just run past them. I, the only time I kill a zombie is if it's in a high traffic area. Uh, the Super Tyrant absolutely sucks balls. Like, it is just Ustanak 2.0. It is just the most disappointing thing ever. And I agree with Rombi that it is absolutely not based on damage, really. It is based on how much time you are just, like, running around like a moron. From what I've looked up, there's a few things that uh, is based on time, or based on damage for that boss fight. I think the main thing, if I recall, is downing him three times, and after that, some damage you do like takes off like five seconds on your timer until uh, Ada throws the rocket launcher. Really lame, and all, all around just disappointment. Continuing on with some things I uh, found disappointing as well, I wish there was more 
stuff added from 1.5. I thought Elza Walker skin was very nice, but me being weird, uh, I would have liked a, a giant gorilla running around. I thought it'd be uh, really neat and really would add to the variety of enemies, which is very lacking in this game. Uh, speaking of which, uh, I believe Welsh posted about this on uh, Project Umbrella a while back. But there was apparently a unused model for a G zombie that was in Darkside Chronicles. I would very much like to see that in the labs. I think that would uh, really add it to the variety instead of just you know normal zombies and ivy and liquor. You would have the G zombies running around. Uh, I also found the uh, models that you unlocked very disappointing, mainly because there's no sound from them. There's a few of them that actually are talking and are like doing some sort of like like uh, for monsters they're breathing and stuff like that. I thought that'd be a really cool little addition to that. Um, the one that sticks out in my mind is um, Birkin before he's mutated and he's yelling, you know, that no one's going to take my G-Virus, but he's just mouthing it. It's really odd. I'm confused as well as to why the Samurai Edges were a pre-order bonus and why the original Samurai Edge is an lockable item. I feel like that'd be more for Resident Evil 3 than 2. That being said, I'm not sure what you would replace them with. The crossbow, possibly, since it's missing from this game for some reason. I uh, was never a fan of the crossbow weapon, but it is still a part of the um, original game, so it should have a part in this game. And is also kind of uh, Claire's signature weapon in, in a way. Now moving away from that into uh, things I liked about the game, the changes to uh, the green-red-blue herb combo is absolutely one of the best things ever to happen to an herb in my opinion. It giving you not just, you know, curing your poison, giving you a lot of health back, it now gives you super armor. Uh, I really hope that stays with uh, future games, but like with other herbs, it, they uh, like to change that around a bit too much for my liking. Um, I also really liked the uh, grenade launcher round that Annette has. To me, it reminded me of the uh, anti-BOW gas from Code Veronica. Not sure if that was intentional or not, but I thought if that was, that'd be a, a really nice thing for uh, fans to notice. And the uh, last thing I really liked, and it absolutely blew my mind, was the uh, black and white mode, or the noir mode. I cannot stress this enough that if you have not tried that yet please do. It changes the entire mood of the game and it is super freaky. At least try it out for five minutes. You don't like, you know, no harm done, but it is worth it. Now with all that said, all that summarized, and of course I left out a few things like Kendo being awesome, Marvin being awesome, their changes. Also other stuff I don't like, like um, Mr. X looking like a fucking prune mixed with Dolph Lundgren for some fucking reason. I know him also having a weird receiver on the left of his temple. I don't know why. But anyway, with all that, I would give this game an 8 out of 10, a very much recommended buy. Personally, even though I just said that, I will be treating this like uh, Metal Gear Solid The Twin Snakes. It is a fun remake, but I will probably not be going back to it after I 100% completed it. Personally, I never really cared about the original Resident Evil 2 anyway, but I can still admit that it is a very good game. Not a huge fan of the original game, but mm, seemingly surprised. enjoyed this remake. Yeah. Well... It depends when you get into the series, isn't it? I don't have it as high as other people do. I have not tried the Noir filter either. It's an interesting point. No. That comparison to Middle Gear Solid Twin Snakes is very apt, I think. And that, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, in some ways, that's more faithful than this was to yeah. its original. But it's a different take on the original game with a different gameplay that doesn't exceed or you know surpass the original, but it's definitely different. And realistically, still at the end of the day, the original 
game as the canon. You could argue with the twin stakes by putting it using the kind of Metal Gear Solid 2 engine. They make it too easy by going to first mm. person mode. Yeah, <laughs> There's a cheat to bypass all the PAL key stuff too by hanging over a balcony onto a hidden ledge and then just freezing the key and heating the key with a pipe <laughs> just to, oh, to yes. cut down on the last bit of the game. But it's a different game and that's essentially the truth here is like the gameplay is very different to the original in, in a lot of respects but there's still the shades of the original yeah, I mean, that's the reason why they changed the zombies, though, because if you take Twin Snakes as an example and you just, like, take the gameplay of Metal Gear Solid 2 and drop it into, like, the maps of Shadow Moses and stuff, it doesn't work over well. And, mm. and if they'd kept, like, the zombies and the liquor behaviour exactly as it was in the original game and just put it into an over-the-shoulder environment, it just wouldn't work at all. So that is yeah. why you do have the modified zombies and how they work and that's why the liquors are relentless, because they have to make, find a way to make it challenging, I suppose. Alrighty, moving on from that, uh, let's talk about some story stuff. Now, a lot of this is just me being kind of confused, and I wonder if you all can help me with, but there's one that's kind of going into fan theory territory, but we'll get there when we get there. There is a, I believe, a USS member at the very beginning of a scenario in the streets, like after the car crashed. He's on the top right of the street, and he's the only one like that like suited up i don't know if he's supposed to be a uss member or not uh, i don't know if that makes sense story wise i don't know if y'all know anything about that another thing that's kind of fan territory a little bit uh rebecca's picture i used to like to make a joke about there being maybe something between rebecca and uh, albert wesker but this is getting into really weird territory because that picture is so pin-up-y it is kind of cringy i laughed uncontrollably when i uh, first saw it but seeing something like that in his desk i do kind of wonder if there is something with them especially after the uh, rebecca and albert uh special mode from zero probably nothing there but whatever uh one thing that bothered me i wrote this down but i cannot find the video of it i seem to remember ada telling leon that they don't sell weapons but they sold the virus i think i'm just having a stroke and i wrote that down for no reason if someone else remembers that please talk about that i don't know if that's an issue or what because i always thought that they sold both not just the virus but it could have been just ada bullshit and leon uh, another little thing that bothered me when leon and claire don't talk over the radio even though Marvin makes an effort to tell them to keep their radio on so they can talk to everybody. Another thing that bothers me is I don't think they're even on the same channel as the RPD. Uh, because when you're, uh, you first get the knife, first, you know, do the whole radio thing, and you're going through the hall and you hear the radio chatter from that cop on the floor, I would think you would hear that too on your radio. So, I don't know what the hell is up with that. Uh, another thing, uh, there's a file for the ID wristbands. Apparently, you can just give them out to your family members. I don't understand why you would give these wristbands visitor passes, granted, to your family members. I can understand if it's like uh, umbrella employees from outside the country coming in. Okay, there's your visitor pass. You can walk through. But I don't see why in the secret laboratory you would have <laughs> visitor passes. It makes no fucking sense to me. And uh, for the last one, this is very much fan theory territory um, i've seen a few people hate the orphanage and the whole uh, umbrella experimenting on children angle but i kind of wonder if that has something to do with how sherry ends up i kind of wonder if uh with her you know becoming a g human or whatever that was kind of the end goal because what i mean by that is there's a file you find in the orphanage and a file file you find 
in the labs with around the same number of test subjects. So I kind of wonder if uh, the Birkins were experimenting on children to possibly get the same results as Lisa Trevor. Granted, he wouldn't have known or shouldn't have known about who Lisa Trevor was, but I think he could realize that he that she was a child uh, in my head. Even if that's not the case, uh, some of the um, body parts that you see in behind the glass on the walls, uh, they're kind of normal human-sized or adult human-sized. And to me, it kind of would make sense if a child was, you know, injected with G and that arm grew and stuff like that to, like, adult human size. Granted, once again, that is a fan theory territory, but I wonder if, if uh, you all kind of can see where I'm going with that. And one more thing that kind of bugs me, and this has not been released yet, it's about the Ghost Survivors DLC. I have no idea why people are thinking that that is canon, because uh, on the uh, Resident Evil official website, it is called If Only a What-If Scenario, where we're following a forgotten soldier, which is supposedly Martinez, uh, the runaway, which is uh, the mayor's daughter, and uh, No Time to Mourn, which is going to be Kendo. Um, I really don't see that there's going to be anything valuable story-wise at all to that, so I'm, I'm, it is really blows my mind why people are getting so hyped up for that. I think people who are looking for, like, really good story information for that are going to be very disappointed. Alrighty, that's pretty much it for my call-in. I do have, uh, two questions I want to leave you with, if you don't mind. I'm not sure if this is part of your, uh, topics of discussion or not, but, uh, what DLC would you want to see? from the Resident Evil 2, would you want to see possibly more from Hunk? Probably a Marvin DLC of him running around. Possibly something like uh, Daughter's DLC from Resident Evil 7 that happens before everything goes to hell. And uh, my other question is, what Resident Evil game would you like to see remade next? Not what will be. I think it's pretty, um, pretty, we're pretty much well on the track for a Resident Evil 3 remake, but what would you like to see? Alright, that's it. Take care, everybody. Well, thank you, Yoke, for uh, that call-in. There's lots of lots to digest there. Yeah, I'd like to see a, a Survivor remake, but that's just me. <laughs> uh, the next remake I'd like to see is Resident Evil 8, if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see a sequel probably before a remake. I think he's right in that we all know what they're obviously going to make, but yeah. Um, the DLC question, I would like to see... If I was to pick a DLC to be made that was actually canon, I would like to see some of the events leading up to when the outbreak first happened at the RPD and why all the barricades and stuff were put up. I think that would be kind of cool, but I don't see it happening. I'd like to see some sort of Desperate Times type scenario set a couple of days before the main game with the cops. Mm. Again, just as like a more of a what-if scenario rather than a proper canon thing. I wonder if we might see a bit of that in Resident Evil 3. I wonder if we're going to turn up at the RPD significantly earlier than we did in the actual game. The original one, yeah. Yeah, and there's going to be quite a lot of survival. Make it that much different because they, they want to reuse as much assets as possible to save them time and money. So if they make it significantly different in terms of the status of the RPD, then why not? I wouldn't be surprised if RE3 starts in the RPD. Yeah. Because the, oh, right, yeah. the, yeah. the opening of the original 3 is a bit silly. Just uh, their apartment, just, yeah, stuck just, in their apartment, which was cut back because obviously we saw more of it in the yeah. original. There's obviously the artworks that weren't used. But um, the USS member, did anyone else see that? I just assumed it was a SWAT. Uh, I haven't yeah, noticed, to be honest. It's difficult to see because he's obviously got like a black uniform. He doesn't have a helmet on. Mm. Um, but he has got like military fatigues on 
I don't think it's any kind of story connection. It's probably just a reused zombie from later in the game. But he's right outside the uh, Arukas Taylor shop on the top right yeah, side of the map. I do remember seeing him. I, I just assume because I'm pretty sure one of the guys in the cutscene when uh, Clear looks out the window is dressed similarly. Like he's a yeah. Swatsy army guy. But I could be wrong. I, I, think. Um, I won't touch on the Rebecca thing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> But he is right about the Ada thing. She tells Leon that they sell the viruses, not the weapons. It's part of the conversation going into the sewers where she talks about the fact that the virus turns things into, well, turns people into creatures. And then, of course, he quips that after the um, alligator that it turns, obviously, animals yeah. into things as well. That, that is, is an interesting plot point. Yeah. That is a huge change. That is uh, something I had not thought of. Um, whether or not it's just Ada spitballing, anecdotally, obviously, we've seen enough in the series to see that they were developing weapons with the intent of using the weapons. But the viruses have always, it's not entirely wrong either. The viruses have obviously been, you know, essentially been worth their weight in treason. <laughs> so there's obviously value to them. I yeah. just don't know if it's, if it's a mistake or if it's just a character thing. I just well, put it down. She's not giving him the full picture, really, because mm. we've seen examples of them selling the viruses and weapons. So yeah, I was just going to make a quick point about the G-virus tests on children. He's not actually far off the mark there, because I don't know if you realised the file in the orphanage, the infected boy who breaks back in from the lab has the same test subject number as one of the test subjects from a file at the very end of the game who was in, yes. he had a bit of a resistance to the T virus so they infected him with G to see if it would make any difference and it ultimately didn't nice. um, but, not know that. but that's the same guy who escapes from the lab and breaks back into the orphanage which I thought was a nice little connection well it's worth noticing it's not the orphanage that we visit because, as well because the files imply that it's been moved so it was a different location I don't think it does I think it implies the children have been moved from it because they've all been eliminated yeah. I don't think it says physically changed location. He may mention about the visitors' pass as well. I think it's just accessing the, the visitor accessible things. But the interesting side point of that is how you access the lab. So you've got visitors, you bring your children, you have to bring them through a sewer system in order to get to the lab like yeah. I'm yeah. guessing that the, the visitors thing only accesses the cafe and like the bed area and the office at the, the reception area it doesn't access anywhere else in the lab by the looks of it um, with the exception of Sherry's one which seems to no it still doesn't it only accesses those areas as well so I feel like the wristband thing isn't the issue it's more the bigger issue is the bigger picture which is bringing visitors to this hidden lab that you have to access via cable car through a sewer yeah well I saw a really amusing thread I can't remember where I saw it now but basically in one of the rooms in the lab i think it might be the security office there's takeaway pizza in there oh, yes, <laughs> who's yeah. delivering pizzas to umbrella's secret underground lab and if they weren't <laughs> delivering them then someone's had to go up to the ground buy a pizza and bring it all the way back with them as well and hope that it wasn't cold by the time they arrived <laughs> teenage mutant ninja turtles over again delivering pizzas to the sewers that's the really? turtles though that makes sense yeah mutant turtles <laughs> yeah, I, hope they, I hope they've got an elaborate dumb waiter that's akin to the magic elevator it's the only explanation it's in an umbrella owned shop on the surface and yeah. it just comes down and he supplies oh can you give me a pizza and a couple of bottles of soda yeah sweet yeah <laughs> I was going to say, touch on just as well, the ghost survivors thing. I think once it's actually, now that it's out, it's pretty damn obvious that they're not really yep. story-related. The only one that you could technically get away with is the G-Virus ghost thing because of the way it works. And it would, in theory, still fit. The only other bits of information you find out is that the mayor's daughter was in a relationship with Ben. Wow, that doesn't really change anything. You know, they're all very straightforward and pretty obvious 
they're not what if scenarios. I think that's an incorrect. The only exception to that is the sheriff one. You know, the um, one with Kendo, for example, yeah. Yeah. It literally sets up after you know Leon and Ada passed. Would perfectly still fit as yeah. a story. Um, the daughter one. But... Yeah, it, that all fit essentially. It's just the they're not really what ifs. The 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 what if of the Mia's daughter obviously is she kills. She did. Eyes. She did. Yeah, so that's a what if. Yeah, they're differing in whether or not you wanted to think of them as canon or not. It doesn't really make a lot of, with the exception of that one, doesn't really make a lot of difference. The disappointing thing about the USS one, it's actually got more story in it than the fourth Survivor. Mm-hmm. That's true. It would have been better in that sense. Well, thank you, Yoke, for the call-in. We appreciate it. I hope you buy all the DLC for the next game. (laughs) You have to be a man of your word now, so there we go. Our final call-in for this podcast comes from Vito. Hi, guys. I finished just a few days ago Leon A, and I wanted to share my opinion with you. I know that the first podcast is just going to be about gameplay mechanics, so not finishing Claire B... I think it's fine. So, I finished the campaign in a little bit under 8 hours, and what blows me away about this is that not one single second of that time I thought to myself, did this turn into an action game? This clearly was an action segment. No, this game from start to finish, it's a true survival horror game. And even 7 had action segments, but not Remake 2. Remake 2 is truly a sequel to remake and I absolutely love this fact. I had to evade enemies, I didn't kill all, all enemies in the campaigns and actually had to leave some alive. I have to manage my items carefully. I actually got scared into going to new rooms. I didn't have this since 2002. It's just beautifully done. Another thing I absolutely loved it's how they did the sub-weapons. It's a complete blend of old and new. You want to use them freely? You can. You can. You want to use them when you get grabbed? You can. And you actually lose your knives now. You have to actually recover them for, from dead bodies. That actually, that's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. They really nailed the over-their-shoulder camera with survival horror. Finally! After over a decade, they finally did it. The boss battles are great, although I really didn't like that they cut a few enemies. I know that the crows only are in one scene, the mod is also in one segment, I think. The spiders are in a few rooms, I know, but still, if you're gonna cut stuff, at least add something, wouldn't it have been cool to have a few hunters on the labs, since a hunter's corpse is in... The Resident Evil 2 version of 64. That would have been a good uh, easter egg. I also didn't like that my favorite easter egg reference, whatever we want to call it, in gaming is missing, and that's Zombie Brad. <laughs> I really, really hope that they, the reason that they didn't include Zombie Brad is because his role in Remake 3 is expanded. I really hope that's the case. What else? What else? Uh, I really like the new changes in Leon's uh, character or interaction with Ada. But I guess I'm gonna leave that for another calling for the next podcast. I just want to close off that this feels good, man. This is the best Resident Evil game I played in over no in ten years, and it's a very good time to be a Resident Evil fan now. 
<laughs> See ya, guys. He was talking about the survival horror action thing. I mostly agree. I think the action sequences come down to really the boss fights and depending as well on your reaction to Mr. X, if you're doing something and you are panicking more than you're, it's not survival horror at that point, but that's not a wrong statement. I think it's definitely very much the game across the board is closer to survival horror than the action. And he's right as well, that there was more action in some segments of seven than there was even on this so I mean that's probably for us it's a good thing there's people out there that are fans of the more action based things maybe they're slightly more disappointed maybe the people that found Mr. X more annoying and the zombies not being easy to kill is more annoying I don't know personal tastes I guess do you think it harms the game cutting out things like spiders and moths to keep it realistic or do you think there's such iconic Resident Evil 2 enemies that you, you do want to see them remade and reimagined for a new generation I think the variety has always been one of the fun things. Mm. Um, you know, if there's one criticism people levelled at 7, was the fact that there wasn't enough enemy variety. And I, and I don't disagree with that. I mean, I like the increased number of G creatures in the sewers, but they can get annoying. And I think if there was a, a few spiders running around there, crawling up and down the walls and ceilings, I, I don't think I would have had a particular problem with that. Mm. Because spiders, like plants, are, you know, they're a big part of the series overall. So, yeah getting rid of the enhanced liquors i can probably understand because the the normal liquors are deadly enough but crows you can't have a t-virus outbreak without crows in it in my mind and spiders i do miss and the moth i would have liked to have seen i have to admit the thing is about the moth too is they didn't even have to have the moth as a fight let's be honest in the original game it wasn't really that much of a fight you could avoid it entirely but even just having a reference to it would have been okay but then maybe i'm making the argument against the same thing when i'm turning around saying that the um the alligator was relatively pointless so i don't know maybe Okay, well, thank you, Vito, for that call-in. Insightful, as always. Um, we've decided that uh, your second call-in, that can wait till episode 51, uh, where we will uh, inevitably look at all the uh, the canonicity issues. So, on that note, we will uh, draw a breath in our marathon discussion on Resident Evil 2, and um, I will say goodbye from me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, Batman. Goodbye from me, Star Tyrant. Goodbye from me, Rompy.